Linux Out Loud is firing up our mic, connecting those headphones as we search the community for themes to expound upon. We keep the banner friendly, the conversation somewhat on topic, and have fun doing it. This week, we are spouting off about the Steam Deck and early hardware reviews. Let's get into this episode number one. Linux Out Loud is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. Time out. Wait right there. If you're listening to Linux Out Loud on YouTube, this is going to be the very last time you're finding Linux Out Loud on the Destination Linux Network YouTube channel. From now on, it will be on its own YouTube channel. You can find a link in the description. With me today is the photographer extraordinaire who contributes way more to the community than she gives herself credit for. And we also have the person with the totally unhealthy obsession with OpenSUSE, who I will always say has an unhealthy obsession with OpenSUSE. Nate, what's going on, guys? Almost. Got it. You're almost accurate with that. The best part is we are officially changed to Linux Out Loud. I'm super excited for all of the changes this brings. Okay, so it doesn't bring that many changes. The core of the show is pretty much going to be the same. But the new music is awesome. Don't you love the new music? And I think our intro and outro is a lot of fun. Yay for change. And Matt is still dealing in hyperbole. I mean, that's good. Some consistency. (laughs) (laughs) Is it hyperbole when it's actually factual, though, Nate? You know, you your gecko mm, we're good friends so while nate is still wrong so you might want to spell check and grammar check with LibreOffice because it sounds like LibreOffice is something you've been using a little bit wendy yeah i needed to create a timeline for tuesday class and i was back and forth on different ways to do this so what i went with was LibreOffice right i had created essentially my own timeline line It was working somewhat for the most part. I reached a position in my timeline where there's just too much stuff, like not all of it fits. And I need to completely rework the spacing between years, add space for months. And this thing is going to end up being, of course, absolutely huge and long. The problem is doing it in LibreOffice Write has been an issue. And there's got to be, even if it's still an office application, There has to be an easier way to do this because right now I've got each page on its own file because when I went to add a page break because, you know, I wasn't using the standard like typing text, it was adding the page break above it instead of below it. That was going to be a little bit of a pain. I guess it could have worked. I could have done it in a backwards fashion instead of a forwards fashion, but I just need to find a way to make it easier and more streamlined in order to add all of the information that needs to go into this timeline. I do like the fact that LibreOffice has all of those tools. I know I was talking to someone in the community and they said LibreOffice Draw might be a better option for what I'm trying to do. And since I got to start all over again, that's something that might be able to work with. I know we have teachers and all kinds of other people inside of the community and I'm kind of curious What do you use for timelines for projects like this? It would be nice if there was an application that was just dedicated to timeline making, but I know that's asking a lot. There are applications that are dedicated to timeline making, but the only ones I found are proprietary. And inside that realm, in order to have the features that I want, I pretty much need to be going through a school in order to get those services because the costs are just way too high for me to do that on my own. 
it's amazing the use cases that I find or strange things that I need just by doing co-op for my kids. It sounds like to me you are talking about some kind of a Gantt chart, like timelines, like project timetables broken down into different sections. Is that an accurate statement or not? It's project related as in it'll cover the time and history that we're using for class. Actually, it goes a little bit before that. I need to be able to print this out and post it on the wall because we're going to be referencing the timeline multiple times as we're having discussions to be able... I don't want them to memorize dates. Like the events are important, but the point of the class isn't to memorize dates. And so them to be able to have a copy of it, us to be able to post it on the wall. So as we're having discussions, we're reading our books, we can go back to the timeline and be like, look at the distance between these two times, like what else was going on to get us there, that kind of thing. And I want to be able to add to it easily because that was one of the problems that I was finding as I was creating this timeline was I was doing more research. I was digging into more things and I'm like, oh, that needs to be on there and that needs to be on there. And it just was a very inefficient way of getting it put all together. And it ended up looking so horribly messy that it was hard to read. It was hard for me as the person who created it to follow all of my crazy lines. It just needs to look better and read better. Maybe what I have is not a good suggestion. So you know, like timeline of like a historical timeline of whatever events. Is that then what you're looking for? Yeah. Okay. Then what I just sent you in the crew chat, probably it may or may not be fitting. I don't know. You can look at it. There's some ideas for like project planners and whatnot. May not be the exact thing but it would give you the ability to print things off and break down different sections of time. I don't know. It might be modifiable to your needs. Uh, maybe there's something better out there, but let's check that out. Yeah, I will definitely look into these. These do look like they're more project-based, but if I could work it in a way to make it history-based, that would be amazing. And in most cases, I think I'm using a much larger period of time. I think I'm talking a period of... 80 years is what this timeline needs to cover. So that's actually quite a lot of time. But there's probably one of these productivity tools in a timeline fashion that would be fitting for me to do this. I just have to play with them a little bit. Some of these look really nice. I would be interested in seeing what solution you come up with because I can see a lot of needs for that as far as like, especially help my kids like break down when they do their research papers and so forth, maybe lay things out in a timeline fashion. Thank you very much for the suggestion and we'll see what other suggestions the community has for me when they... Probably better ones. I don't necessarily <laughs> better, but that is one of the best things about pulling ideas from the community or having the community that we do. So many people are in so many different fields and have used such a wide variety of applications that there is usually somebody that knows something about an application that I don't, you don't, Matt doesn't. And it's part of the reason why I know about some of the applications that I do. It's actually it's funny how uh, you can be into computers and software and really get focused and dig into it. And then you realize there's so much more to it like than you actually realize. You think the forest is small and light, but then you realize it's a never-ending mass of trees or applications. And in that never-ending mass is the Linux kernel itself. It's been growing and building for years. You just installed a new Linux kernel and had some sound issues with that. I did. 
So about a week ago or so, I had an issue with Linux kernel 5.16.2 and 5.16.3 on OpenSUSE Tumbleweed. It wasn't just a Tumbleweed issue, it was kernel issue in the specific hardware that's used on the Comet Lake CPUs. The sound driver would start just fine, which is why I didn't notice the problem. If you went to put the computer to sleep and bring it awake again, it would, the sound driver would be gone. It, it wouldn't load. I tried to manually, like using Mod Probe, to unload it and reload it, and it would cause the kernel basically to, it wouldn't totally crash. It would just basically hang and then it would recover. And so I started doing some digging, and there was a bug report out there already, so I just added some bits of information to it. And it was a known issue that was at the kernel level and the hardware driver level. What was interesting to me, so every other computer that runs Tumbleweed in my house didn't have any issues whatsoever with those kernels. Everything worked just fine, like nothing ever happened, but it just happened to be the Comet Lake CPU sound system, the uh, whatever it's called. So I found that very interesting. It kind of makes you think. Oh, and by the way, my workaround to getting sound was actually, because Bluetooth is so good on Linux now, I just use Bluetooth for my computer to get sound. Go figure, huh? <laughs> <laughs> the one time where Bluetooth is the absolute best. Okay, I can't say that I hate Bluetooth. And I'm definitely not an audiophile like Ryan is. And part of that has to do with my hearing just isn't that good. And I know it isn't. Mm -hmm. So I don't catch some of the minute differences in things. So Bluetooth has been fine. But yay for Bluetooth. That's actually what allowed me to be able to function with the laptop fairly normally. Most of the time I'm using a speaker anyway, like for when we're doing listening to classical music anyway, because the laptop speakers just aren't great for listening to the different instruments and the dynamics and range of music. So not a big deal anyway. SOF Audio PCI Intel CNL was the driver that was giving problems. But it kind of makes me think. So I, I don't run Tumbleweed on all my machines. I don't run it on my kitchen system. It's something that I just need to have running because I don't want to have to really faff around with it. I want to be able to go to it, access recipes or access, you know, websites that have stuff for cooking or baking or whatever. I run Leap on that one. And it kind of makes me think, you know, the rolling distributions are the best probably for new hardware, but it's also not the best with newer hardware because things like this where the sound works fine, there's an update to the kernel, the sound breaks and somehow it wasn't caught or whatever. It was kind of an edge case almost, you know, only if you put the thing to sleep and bring it back up. And a lot of people don't do that. So not a whole lot of people caught it, but I do that a lot. That's a very normal thing for me. Why I use a laptop is because I can do that. And so it's just what I've been doing for, I don't know, decade plus, way plus. Just interested in the whole idea of like when a static distribution or when a rolling distribution is best served for a situation. And I, I think rolling distributions are great. I prefer rolling distributions, but I, I sometimes pause like with this incident. Maybe rolling distributions are not always the best you know, because of, well, that it's rolling and they don't have time to shake out all the different edge cases. But, you know, I did go with a rolling distribution because I wanted the excitement. And so I got it. There are positive and negatives to both static distributions and rolling distributions. And you just kind of have to weigh out which one works best for you. And that's probably why you don't use a rolling distribution on your kitchen system. Actually, all of my systems are running Manjaro, but part of that is just for ease of use. I don't want to think about it when I'm going to update a system. It's just the same command every time, you know, open up the terminal, type in the same command, run the upgrade, and everything is pretty much happening the same across all of the systems, especially where not only am I maintaining the ones for my kids, but I'm now maintaining the ones for all of the school kids. And when I I was setting mm -hmm. them up in order to use them for this school year 
because we still have some bugs and stuff to work out with OpenSUSE on them and getting some of that communication going between the school and them. I actually went ahead and threw Manjaro on them. So even the school laptops right now are using Manjaro. Yeah, it's understandable when you have something that you're used to. Nate, I was waiting for you to say that was the wrong choice. No, I'm not going to say it's the wrong choice. You can already tell that by the tone of his voice. You can tell when <laughs> Nate isn't happy with you. That dad voice comes in and that, that well. it's dripping with disappointment and how I know that you could do better. Let's do better. You can make open source work. <laughs> no, I, I really don't care. Actually, as far as the like all the drivers, those are all 100% now on that computer. But really what it boils down to is you have to do what really works best for your workflow. And if you've got everything already set up on the Manjaro ecosystem, if we may call it that, add another word, but that would be inappropriate. I think then don't change it because it works. To me, it's not, there's not a point in changing something if you already got it working right. the way it needs to be working. I mean, if there is a problem in the future, sure, then you consider changing it. But the cost of changing something for no perceivable benefit isn't worth the time and effort. Exactly. And it was super easy for me to get PyCharm put onto the laptops in order to use for class. And so that's part of the reason why I just keep Manjaro around. Sometimes it's nice to deal with the complications of a rolling distribution because your availability to newer packages makes that a little bit nicer. I know people talk about snaps and flat packs. There's a lot of people in the community who like them. I love the fact that they give people the opportunity to run newer software on just about any distribution they want. I have just never been a big user of either one of those package types. I just like to install directly from the repos and not worry about it. Yeah, it makes total sense. I actually find that I've been tilting some things toward Flatpak and actually PyCharm community is one of them. They bundle it all nicely together and I don't have to find all the pieces. Uh, partially because I'm lazy. Where's Nate and what have you done with him? Uh, he died. He got eaten alive <laughs> by a group of angry chickens. Tree fell on him. Tree fell on him. I was going to say, did that tree from last week <laughs> No, in fact, Saturday, I think it was. Saturday or is it Monday? I don't know. The neighbor across the street, he's in the tree removal business. And I said, hey, I just want you to take down any part of the tree that's over these two flags right here so that when I put in the solar panels, nothing falls on them. Was, okay, great. Uh, it's just eh, probably about a hundred bucks or so. Now, I know normally tree removal is like in the thousands of dollars. And uh, I said, well, it's way cheaper than the dental work I'd have had to get done if I had done this. <laughs> and he laughed, of course. Well, Matt, I got my kernel issue sorted out, got my sound, and you've been streaming. Now, does your streaming include sound or is it just you talking? I wouldn't call that sound, I'd call that noise. It's kind of like when you talk about <laughs> OpenSUSE, I close my ears, so it's okay. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I was recently did a, a live streaming episode for GameSphere. There was a game from a developer slash self-published that I'm not even going to try to announce or pronounce because it's way more than I'm going to butcher <laughs> <laughs> the short version. It sounds like you should say it just because I think that'd make it funnier and I can poke fun at you for, for missaying it. Nate, unlike you, I'm not going to give you opportunities. You give me opportunities all oh. the time to make fun of you. That's why it works. Oh, so you're, you're being more tactical. Yes. Yeah, okay. But the game was called Beyond Mankind and the Awakening. It's a first-person survival shooter. Um, so there's like hunger mechanics. There's uh, limited ammo. Earth gets destroyed, all, all the typical tropey, uh, kind of uh, post-apocalyptic stuff. But it takes elements, the sci-fi elements of like, people are coming back to Earth from Mars, which has been colonized and all that stuff. And space stations that weren't affected by like the destruction of Earth and all that kind of stuff. So they're coming back to like find technology and all that kind of scavenge, you know, what's left, basically. That's the overall concept of the game. 
there's some stuff I like. I like the the concept of it. I like the character customization aspects of it in the beginning. You get to choose different evolution states and that kind of stuff. There's a lot to the game within like the first like two hours that I probably played it. It's a lot of tutorial stuff. There is some work that they have to do on it. You can tell it's a Unity game because character models, for example, that they choose to use is it looks very high end PS2, Mm. like a God of War 2. Like they're not horrible, but in comparison to anything you've currently been playing, you're kind of like, ooh, that's a little, <laughs> that's a little rough to go back to. I think PS2 is still pretty much top notch. I wouldn't call it vintage gaming. I just got one like 21 years ago. 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. I was streaming that, but the reason I streamed that was not because that they offered me a key or anything. So I want to make that. I did not pay for the game. Currently, I believe you can get it on Steam as of this recording anyway. I think it's a 25-30% off right now. These guys reached out to a lot of Linux content creators to promote their game coming to Linux. Nice. I like that. They made a big deal about it. So to me, that's one of those things where the community should be jumping on board and be like, hey, dev public, thanks for making this available. Let's highlight it. Awesome. Cool. That to me is a big motivator for why I wanted to stream it. Because it's like, even if I don't like the game, I'll still give props to and where it might not be my style of game. I'll still give credit to a publisher or a developer for deciding to promote the fact their game is coming to Linux. Like, regardless of distribution, I think that it is highly important and I don't think we do it quite often enough because, you know, Proton has changed a lot of stuff. But on the same note, to see a dev and a publisher do a native Linux version is massively important. Really the only... The last publisher or developer I remember to do that was probably Splitgate when they made a big deal about it. And that's why... As an example, I've been personally, when I do like multiplayer games, it's mostly been Splitgate because it's like it's free to play. It's on Linux and I don't feel like I'm getting pay to win in that game. So I have no problem giving the developers some money because they've done they're supporting my platform. They're supporting the game in the right way and it doesn't feel like it's predatory. That marks all the free to play stuff. Totally fine. It's cool to see a developer do that. Wanted to give some props to them for that. Speaking of GameSphere, there is currently a thing on the Discourse forum asking what the community wants to see for content. Because live streams, I'm doing some, you know, game recommendations. I don't call them top fives because recommendations are more opinion and that's really what top fives are. Honestly, if you ever look at a YouTube video, they're just game recommendations. I wanted to get the community's take on what they're looking for. So you can find a link in the show notes and in the video description for the link for the GameSphere, what you want to see for content forum post. It's nice to see that they made a big deal about releasing a Linux game. I read someplace a while ago, this is quite a while ago, that some game developer houses, they love the Linux community because they get a lot more bug reports and help, like useful help from the game players. Have you read that anywhere or is that just me? It was either a Reddit thread or some type of AMA. It was a while ago. They were talking about the short version is the bug reports and all the other like information that they would get from Linux users is a lot more technical oriented. Generically, not always, but like they know how to do like a total library readout and all that the other stuff, like an entire to use a Windows term, basically a core dump of just like all the stuff that you know you would need when there's an issue running up to uh, say a game or whatever, and where to find that and what a person might need to look at for. Any Linux issues. 
I've heard that from a few different places, but it's definitely an interesting take because you're like, I'm not sure if the developers viewing that as helpful or free QA testing. <laughs> so I take it with a grain of salt, but I'm erring on the side of they just are, they mean that the Linux community is far more helpful than and sends the right kind of help when reporting mugs and that kind of stuff. That's what I'd like to think. This episode of Linux Out Loud is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Now is the perfect time to dive into DigitalOcean's new app platform service. They help you build modern cloud-native apps for way less money. With App Platform, you can build, deploy, and scale apps and static websites faster and easier than ever before with their simple, intuitive interface. Simply point App Platform to your GitHub or GitLab repository and let them do all the heavy lifting. Whether you're using Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, static sites, Docker, and container images. By running App Platform on their infrastructure, DigitalOcean keeps the cost significantly lower than any of the other products out there. Plus, it's built on top of DigitalOcean Kubernetes, providing a smoother migration path so you can take more control of your infrastructure. As a Linux Out Loud listener and member of the DLN community, you can get started building your world-changing app with their app platform for free, and it gets better. DigitalOcean will give you a $100 credit when you sign up at do.co slash dln. Again, go to do.co slash dln to get started with your $100 credit on DigitalOcean's new app platform. We want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Linux Out Loud. Speaking of helpful and things that have been bugging us, we've been waiting months and months and months and months and months for the release of the Steam Deck, which has been bugging gamers <laughs> specifically. So we're going to be talking about the Steam Deck in some of the earlier reviews. You know, the Steam Deck, it's an RDNA, four core, eight thread CPU, GPU, APU, which is AMD's all-in-one processor. The performance from what I've seen, at least for games running and stuff on it, games like Control will run at generic about 30 fps on medium settings which is generically what you'd get on say about a ps4 that's pretty impressive for integrated graphics and that kind of stuff and a handheld and it's a pc that's pretty cool to see that finally come to fruition we've had manufacturers in the past where, oh we want to put like a when the psp came out we want to put a ps2 in your hand when the vita came out we want to put a ps3 in your hand that was always the goal for those particular consoles a home console on the go was always the pitch this actually basically allows that to happen. I'm not even going to compare it to the Switch because it's totally different architectures to begin with. It's not in the same ballpark. Just from a spec perspective, yeah, it's cool. 16 gigs of RAM, you know, anywhere from 64 gigs of eMMC storage to the 512 SSD storage options. What's your take on like the controller layout and that kind of stuff, Nate, though? Well, I do have larger hands. I would call my hands large with gangly fingers. It sounds like it's probably going to be well suited to me. As far as handheld gaming consoles, I think are the absolute worst like the ones that are most uncomfortable that I've ever played that's caused like cramping and so forth, I would say the Nintendo Switch is pretty terrible in handheld state. The Switch Lite's a little bit better, maybe, but I don't like it at all. That said, it looks like by what the reviews I watched, positions are good. You can rest your fingers on it without accidentally mashing a button that has the right amount of resistance. And so that's very encouraging. That's really exciting to see, to hear, to read. The fact that it has so many inputs to include like touchscreen, you got like haptic feedback touchpads, which I guess maybe aren't the best. The touchpads aren't. Some software updates coming. The joysticks, the thumb joysticks. It looks really good. I'm interested in seeing when I get my Steam Deck, how I feel about it. 
Will it be good enough or as good as like mouse keyboard playing? I, I don't know, but I, I'm interested in trying out how that would be. The controller really didn't look that much different than say like a Wii U with just the stuff moved up a little bit. That's what I got from when I first saw. It's a little larger from what I've seen pictures of the Steam Deck as opposed to pictures in comparison to other consoles like the Vita, the PSP. Uh, there was one for the gamepad. There was one for the Switch, of course, because that's going to... The problem I have with this is everyone's going to compare it to the Switch and it it's not it's not the same vastly different the joy cons don't come off yeah stuff like that <laughs> as far as the most uncomfortable i gotta agree i think the switch joy cons when you're using the switch portably are terrible the ergonomics feel off they're fine for kids but they're not fine for big hands when you actually use them like with i guess the base station for the controller the actual controller and you put them together it's not as bad because of the form factor of that base station is more conformed to more normal people. But if you're using just the Joy-Cons on the actual portable itself, as opposed to like console mode, I guess, they're not comfortable at all in comparison. So if they're even remotely around better than that, then I'm totally fine. And from the reviews, it seems to be that way. The Wii U gamepad, that actually feels pretty good in my hands. It's the right size. It's restful, I would say, to have that, but it's much larger. Yes. And I do like the Switch Pro Controller or the Wii U Pro Controller. Those are also really good in my hand, too. So it's not like Nintendo doesn't know how to make a nicely shaped controller. Yeah, definitely. Now, the reviews for the thermals and noise. A lot of people have been surprised by this because they were expecting that they have been comparing this a lot to like the INEO and like One X player and those kind of devices. And those run really, really hot usually just because, you know, you're cramming four core, eight thread or eight thread, 16 thread <laughs> CPUs in the these small little portable handhelds in comparison to what you would normally find in like a laptop or whatever as far as like spacing restrictions. The Steam Deck for what I have seen is actually fairly cool stays around somewhere in the 80 range kind of like taps out around 90 most people would consider like that 100 plus degree mark okay way too hot that's good to hear and from what i've heard noise wise from you know things like ltt and gamer nexus who also dove into it they really didn't notice it because it basically has one fan you're gonna hear it but it's not like if it's pulled away from you you're not going to hear it nearly as much it's kind of like the switch which has a fan and you can hear it sometimes in that regard but generically it didn't sound like they heard it all that and it wasn't like a desktop sounding off or like a well nate you'd probably get the reference a little more like the ps4 where it sounds like and you're like okay you can like it's like getting ready to take off yeah yeah i don't know about wendy but like wendy when your kids do like extended plays on the uh xbox one the fans kick up quite a bit don't they it's not so much the fans on the xbox itself it's actually the fans on the power adapter that are the most noisy on that gosh dang thing Hmm. Yeah, it was good to see the Steam Deck's sound profile is very acceptable. Even after pushing it, it still was not very noisy and it kept the thermals in the right range. And also it didn't get hot to the touch, according to the players. The other thing too I thought was interesting is obviously spent a lot of time in controlling the thermals and probably also fan speeds and so forth by throttling the GPU, CPU, 
thing, APU. And also interesting that it doesn't really hit 100% in some of those benchmarks. It stays about 10 or 11 megahertz below its maximum. So maybe they found a certain threshold or, you know, like a power curve where the amount of performance with the amount of fan cooling, whatever, gives you the best battery life. Which is ironic given the fact that performance was a questionable thing because people are like, oh, it's only a four core, eight thread CPU. And it's like, I kind of laugh at it hearing that because I'm like, my editing rig is only a four core, eight thread <laughs> CPU. And that's from like 10 years ago. <laughs> Seeing that being able to be crammed into something the size of a portable con, I'll use the term portable very loosely, something into the shape of a handheld console is very intriguing to me. From what we've seen, I'm not going to use synthetic benchmarks because I don't think they're generically accurate. You can gauge those however you want. I look more at the real world performance and obviously on stuff like this, the gaming performance is what's going to matter. I mentioned earlier, one of the tests that somebody, I think LTT ran was control at medium settings, 30 frames, which is actually pretty good when you consider it's an integrated chip. Another one was you could get whatever epic settings basically on dead cells at 60 frames a second. So stuff like that is where I prefer to view the quote unquote performance. I'm not, I'm not a synthetic benchmark kind of guy personally. I am curious to see where some of the other games that are going to be tested because it seemed like the pre-approved press list for games to test was pretty limited. Uh, I know another one was, I believe, Ghost Runner, which is a hack and slash roguelike FPS kind of game. It's a very unique game. They were able to get, it was the high settings at 30 or high settings at 60. They were able to get really good performance to graphical fidelity stuff on the balance. Pretty interesting. One other area, though, is the battery. Valve claims two to eight hours. With light gaming. Depending on the situation. That falls about into the line with the original Switch. You know, the original Switch was about two and a half to five, if I remember correctly. And obviously, depending if you're pushing the CPU harder, depends if your screen brightness is up and down. It's just like any other laptop or any other portable kind of thing that runs on a battery. The more stuff that you have running, the more power it's going to use. It depends. Generically, it seemed like the overall was 50% brightness and Wi-Fi on was about six hours, which is about what most people would be using. That's encouraging. The screen, it's a 1280 by 800 screen. At that size, what, eight inch screen, I think eight and a half inch screen, something like that. I don't remember the exact measurements for the screen. The 1200 by 800 is going to be fine for what it is. You don't need to push it much more than that as far as the screen. I know LTT said that the screen was good as far as the overall presentation of it and taking so many different lighting conditions that it could be used in into different effect. So that was encouraging to hear. Like I have the OLED PS Vita and trying to play that in like sunlight, not so much fun. <laughs> it's like trying to use an OLED phone in sunlight. You're just like, can the brightness go up more? The question is no. I know the screen for you, Nate, like your use case is not really going to be the battery or the screen per se. Yours is going to be more the, I'm going to get a dock for this and <laughs> make this an emulation machine. Yeah, I don't necessarily even need a dock. For me, it's more of a personal computing device. You know, like a fun thing. It's a fun piece of, although I think most technology is fun, especially my old Commodore 64. I like to get a mention in once an episode. That's why you have a knockoff? Mm -hmm, yep. So I got a knockoff. That's why I got the real thing and why I want to buy another implementation of. I think it's like a fun device for me anyway, kind of a pick up and play 
type thing. Like, you know, mostly I use my laptop when I retro game because I can have it on my lap. While the kids are playing their modern Splatoon 2 or what's the other one? Like Plants vs. Zombies, Garden Warfare. It's a fun game. I like the um, tree makes me laugh. But anyway, it's too much for an old guy like me. So I like to, you know, slow it down a little bit and, you know, play something from the Nintendo or whatever. And the kids also play with me as well. It's not like it's just the old man's thing. But sometimes I just want to like play with an old game on the laptop sitting on the recliner. It doesn't happen very often, but it does happen. And so I just use my laptop. Conversely, I could use the Steam Deck, which is probably going to have a better user experience than a standard desktop for doing that old gaming. I'm guessing it'll have a better experience. And then I have the controllers right there. So I'm not like having the sitting laptop on my lap while I have a controller then in my hand, hoping that I don't like do something and knock the laptop off my lap. You know, it's just right there in my hand. Little things like that, that I think would make it you know, more enjoyable. Also, it might be fun to just use this as my computing device on the go. Take it with me for instead of like a laptop, whatever, just, you know, take that along. See how it goes. Take that along instead. Maybe get like one of those like little tiny keyboards that are Bluetooth. It might work well. In fact, I think it would have been a lot cooler if it had one of those like slide up screens. Remember the old, I can't remember what it was called, like a sidekick or something like that. T-Mobile had those, like with the screen like flipped out. Sony also had something similar. They had the uh, Sony Vio like UX model, like those uh, UMPCs back in like the early 2000s that were something similar, like yeah. slide up screen with a keyboard and stuff. Well, like 29, 2010, I saw a lot of those, like you just kind of, the screen like flips around, exposes mm-hmm. a full keyboard. I thought it was great. That I think would be pretty cool on the Steam Deck. I realize that's like way outside of bounds. I don't expect anything like that but to me i that would bring a smile to my face especially if it was in the commodore 64 layout that'd probably make it except for the cursor keys that would make it the cat's pajamas right there my question is wendy i know you have not ordered one would this be something that like you personally from hearing what you've heard just from the hardware perspective would this be something you would view as a console or as a, a pc you'd be more where the 400 price end would focus on kids and all the other family stuff it's Not necessarily a piece of hardware that I even want to own, and part of that is because I'm not really big into gaming in general and the games that I play and when I want to sit down and play a game, I want it to be at my big computer. And so I say I almost see it as more of a console type device because that is what it's made for. That's what the button layout is made for. Though they have done some things to make it so that you can use this purchase for multiple hardware tasks. It definitely, as far as my interest goes in the way that I just look at the total package, see it as more of a console type device. And that's why I've been pretty much silent for this conversation because I really don't have anything to add. Okay, so <laughs> let me ask you this then. Nate, what's the switch run out? Two to three hundred, right? In that range, yep. Two hundred to three fifty, depending on model. You have the three hundred, right. which is the regular model, the three fifty, which is the OLED, and then the two hundred ish for the light. If you had to choose one day between a say a switch OLED, which is about three hundred and fifty, or a baseline Steam Deck as a parent, keep in mind this would be more for the kids, not for mom. Which one would you choose? Hands down, it would definitely be the Steam Deck. And part of that we've talked about in the past is because of the way that Nintendo does their game pricing and the way they do the availability to play games on them. I know that we can get games for the kids on sales and all of that fun stuff on a Steam for a way better price than I ever could do on any Switch device. But another thing that comes to mind when it comes to like these kind of handheld devices and probably part of the reason why I don't see us getting them for the kids 
is because I prefer the Xbox platform where we have multiple controllers and they can all play together under one game. They do this with Minecraft on the Xbox all of the time. And last night they were playing Sonic Team Racing and they could still all play together on one console. And I really like that overall gaming experience as a parent, as a family, far better than the individual ones. Now we will get to talking about the VR headset that the kids got. Yes, we did pick one up, more to come. And I'm (laughs) already worried and cringing about the fights that is going to come from just having one single (laughs) device. I guess my question is if, because this has Bluetooth and all the other nonsensical, you know, stuff with it. This is kind of off topic, but it's more situational to what we would be viewing the Steam Deck for. We talked about, you know, other people's take on it for what's currently available. Nate's an emulation guy. I'm viewing this as a console. Nate, is this going to be something you're going to have your kids mess around with? No, this is my toy. I purchased them many toys that they can play with. And this is my toy. Like, I don't buy myself things very much. The things that I buy myself are life enhancements, you know. Yes, I bought a bunch of switches so that I can make sure all the lights are turned off. That was kind of a me purchase, but it was a family. It benefited everybody. I've purchased games for the kids for the Switch or not so much the PS4 because that's kind of, well, that's not true. I did buy the whole Garden Warfare thing. But there's not a whole lot of things I buy for me specifically. They're usually tools that I buy for me. And, you know, tools are toys as well. Like a soldering station. That was a me purchase, but it's so I could do other things. You know, it doesn't benefit just me. It's so I can get work done around the house. This is a toy that I'm buying for me. This is very much a selfish purchase. It's for me. The kids will only be able to touch it after I see that they washed and properly dried their hands and they're sitting down and they're not going to carry it anywhere. This is going to be less portable than a desktop, as far as I'm concerned, when they have it. Because I don't want them dropping it. I want a case to put it in that, you know, protect it a little bit too. I saw there were some things out there already. I'm very concerned about it being dropped. I know they tested it and such. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, I'm, I'm already accident prone <laughs> enough and so is my life. So, no, this is for me. This is not for them. Although, I will say, we do like to play a lot of Steam games between machines. Although, DirectX 11 is kind of hurting some of that. I think it's 11 or is it 12? I don't know. New DirectX is preventing it on one of the machines. But we do some games a lot together. I will probably use my Steam Deck. And I might, I might let my oldest hold it. But maybe my daughter. Well, let me think about this. No, I'm not going to let her even hold it. It's going to be mine. I'm just saying what I'm going to be viewing the Steam Deck as. This is where the Switch comparison is appropriate and where it's not. I'm going to be essentially buying one of the prop-upable docks, you know, that will eventually be coming around for this device because that's just how third parties work. And I will be plugging this in and viewing it strictly as the Switch is to console gaming. Interesting. Everyone views the Switch as a mobile console uh, that can happen to drop into dock and you can play it on your TV. I'm viewing this the other way around. I'm viewing this as a console that I can happen to take on the go. I'm curious to see if people like in Wendy's situation, if they could use this as a console first mentality. This is our one quote unquote console, you know, like an Xbox or a PS4 or 5 or, you know, whatever platform you want to use and view it that way. I'm almost curious in that use case, if that makes sense. It's a PC, but it's not a PC, but it can be a PC. It's in a very weird dynamic area that you can make it fit pretty much any situation you really that you want. Because I could see if you have dockable USB-C with a hub in the front, then you can buy a bunch of like Xbox controllers or you can use Bluetooth controllers for it. And hey, look, there you go. You can still do family game night, basically. Stuff like that's just kind of cool to me. You're kind of looking at the Steam Deck as being 
a Steam machine then as filling that role as opposed to it being a portable device. That's interesting. I would rather have a Steam machine. I would rather finish building my living room system that I have plans for and use that than buying this separate device as that kind of gaming appliance, gaming experience for the house, for the family. Totally get that. Like I said, I think it's an interesting time and an interesting device, and some of the reviews have been interesting to watch. They talk about the load times, so like there's the concern about SD card loading times and all the other stuff, and everything I've seen is basically the loading times are basically the same across the board, from the internal NVMe drive to the micro SD card loading time. So, I mean, obviously there's going to be a fair bit of discrepancy based off like one runs at like, I believe at a max like 100 megs off an SD card to, you know, whatever the read write speeds of like SATA 3 and 4 are. <laughs> obviously there's a difference, but generically like it's not a horrible experience. The one caveat area seems to be the haptics, the rumble feedback, which Valve even admitted is kind of a secondary thought. And Nate, that was where you had mentioned uh, talking about updates and stuff. There is competition. You know, we mentioned the I and the O and the One X player and those kind of types of devices. But really, the Steam Deck's kind of its own thing because it fills a bunch of different niches and stuff. And we kind of gave our takes on like where we see it fitting in with maybe us. Curious to see what other people are going to do with it. These reviews and stuff, like the hardware reviews, I'm taking with a grain of salt because, you know, they're just going over performance and that kind of stuff for more of like, oh, it's portable. Okay, cool. But I want to see what it does on all these other fronts too. If you're viewing this as a portable console, a lot of these reviews are going to be awesome. If you're viewing this as a PC, you might not be blown away by any of this just from a hardware perspective. Again, to me, it boils down to the experience. And Nate, I already know you're going to nuke and pave and put OpenSUSE on the thing anyway. Well, <laughs> Absolutely. I thought that was going to be part of the instructions when I got it. How to nuke and pave for open Susa Tumbleweed. I just assumed that's what everyone's going to do. No, everyone that <laughs> is you. This episode of Linux LR is brought to you by Bitwarden. One thing we can do to protect ourselves is having unique passwords for every online account that we have. I've been using Bitwarden for a while now to do just that. It not only helps me keep track of the many passwords I now have, it includes a random password generator, you can set the length of special characters, and so much more. But here at its open source, receives third-party security auditing, and you can get started for free by going to bitwarden.com DLN. Want some of their premium features like one gigabyte of file storage, vault health reports, or just support the project? It starts for only $10 a year. Jump over to bitwarden.com DLN to get started with your free account now. We've talked about the Steam Deck up and down as far as like reviews and what we're using it for and looking at it as. Wendy, you've made some uh, recent purchases though. Yeah, we touched on this a little bit earlier during the discussion on the Steam Deck and we talked about it a lot on episode 95 of DLN Extend. After talking with you... I went out to talk to my daughter about it and she'd showed me this other Oculus that she had found. I was like, well, I just talked to the gaming expert of the network and we went over some of the things that you talked about and she started doing some more research on the HTC Vive and the more we talked about it, the more kind of reviews and stuff that we were looking at specifically with using it on Steam and its better compatibility with Linux specifically with the best feature being you don't have to deal with Facebook at all. Yay! I'm all about that. Absolutely. That's what we decided was going to be the very best option for them to get 
And then she was scouring eBay, trying to find one that was going to work. And the biggest problem that she was running into was you could get bits and pieces of an HTC Vive, but it was really, really hard to find the entire package. And at one point she'd brought it to me and it was just the headset. And I'm like, okay, well, that's fine, but we still need all of these other cables and the controllers. And so if we're piecing it out like that, it's a very good chance that we're going to really exceed your budget. And most of the all-in-one packages were definitely exceeding the budget that they had to work with. We got super lucky and I was looking on Swappa. It's probably one of my favorite places to look for some old hardware. I used it mostly for phones, but I just so happened to find an HCC Vive there that is practically brand new. It's arriving today. So we're recording before it shows up, but the kids are busy getting their schoolwork done, getting all of their chores around the house done, so that as soon as it shows up, we can go ahead and open it up. Now, there's a good possibility that you've already heard me talk about what it was like to open it up and what it looks like, because We record this show before Hardware Addicts, but Hardware Addicts will be out before this show drops. So you might be getting a little bit of back in time (laughs) feeling because, well, it is just a little bit. So if you want to hear me talk about what the opening process is like, I suggest going to an episode that already released and I'll put a link to that down in the description, but the kids are really excited for it. They can't wait for it to get here. As I mentioned before, I'm super, super worried about what the fights are going to be like. Now, it's priced good enough at the way that they bought it. The kids could probably, if they don't like it, because that's another thing I'm worried about, them getting it and then not actually liking the device at all, but they could probably turn around and get it for a profit. Now, if they are fighting over this device, mom will turn around and sell it And mom will make money off of it for having to deal with all of the fighting and arguing that went along with it. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. But we do have four kids and only one headset device. And my head already hurts thinking about it. Sounds like you're just going to have to buy another one or two. No. (laughs) Thing is, you can really only use one at a time. Like it's not even set up in a way that they could play together. And so it has to be just one at a time. Now, usually when they're playing just one-on-one games, like we do have some of the FNAF games on the Xbox, even though it's only a one-player game, the kids are sitting around in the living room, they're watching it together, they're laughing as my daughter gets jump scared or, you know, something happens as one of them are playing the game. And it's still an interactive process in the family. Whereas I don't think that the VR headset will be in any way. I mean, we'll get to watch one of the kids as they're flailing in the living room with this great big thing on their face. But I don't really think I'd want to have more than one because then everybody would have a headset on in their own room in the own part of the house. And I really don't want to go down that road at all either. My vote is still just buying another one. Just spend a few thousand dollars on making the kids happy. Yeah, yeah, no big deal. Oh, I do that already by feeding them. Oh, yeah, keeping them alive. That's, they should probably value that. They should probably value that. It's that time again. It is game of the week. This one probably isn't VR related, is it, Matt? I did another live stream on my own channel a while back, uh, a couple of days ago. And it was for a game called The Chorus, which, Nate, you will probably 
might know the games because most of them are about 20 years old. So the references might fall and make sense to you. It is a game that mixes Everspace, which is too new. So you might not know that one, but it mixes in Everspace with Free Space or Descent Free Space and Free Space 2 and games like Freelancer. Yes. And it mixes those games into one game. For those that want more modern references, it's Everspace mixed with like the X3 series of games. Pretty much what you got. Chorus is a space arcadey fighter game with a open-ish universe. But I'm not going to lie. It is really pretty. <laughs> Just like some of the screenshots. And it is really, really pretty. Uh, the music's really really good the voice acting hit or miss at best but overall uh, i really enjoyed playing this game and i took a lot of screenshots and the controls need to be adjusted you can do mouse and keyboard or you can do controller overall really fun game i'm not sure if it's the 40 dollars fun game but it's a fun game again i was given a key from the publisher on this one so definitely a game to look at if you're into like space fighters and that kind of stuff though so yeah huge fan of descent free space back in the day you had me at descent free space little uh creepy parts in the trailer you know like a, a world being consumed by something i don't know how i feel about that but looks cool well, so what is the premise of the game then so you- that world eating part you initially you play as a character who was part of the big bad's uh entourage basically and the big bad did not start out as the big bad they started out as the big good <laughs> essentially the they started out as the good guy and they become the bad guy gotcha and eventually the person that you play um nara i believe she ends up starting to question as she can see the good become the bad and she decides to fight against that so once she gets to that point where it's like oh you just destroyed an entire planet things have gone sideways <laughs> decides to uh go against that that's the basic premise of it but you also will get side quests where it's like oh hey you can go scavenger you can go protect uh this envoy and or you know one of them that i was doing was trailing a pirate that had stolen some stuff from a space station just stuff like that where it's very free floating and in the environment but it also has like the six degrees of access kind of stuff that you would get from a like a descent mm-hmm. three where it's very corridory kind of deal but your movement is all you know, free movement and that kind of stuff it takes some getting used to um, on the control aspect. Like I said, it's a little, for me, it was a little hypersensitive on the thumbsticks, but not nearly as bad on the keyboard and mouse. So your mileage may vary. Now you mentioned that the voice acting in this wasn't all that great. Do you think it took away from the gameplay and the overall story of the game though? Or did it balance out with the beautiful graphics that are in this game and the other gameplay aspects? I can deal with bad voice acting. I view voice acting as a part of the sound aspect, like a sound design as a whole. It's like watching a movie and being like, that's really like a dry delivered line, but having like fantastic music. So I separated out the voice acting from the the music. So like the music is fantastic. The voice acting is just kind of deadpan on delivery to me, but it doesn't take away from the overall atmosphere of the game. It's kind of like how I viewed the game decks. It's one of those, there's characters that grate on your nerves. There's aspects of the game where it's like not perfect, but the overall package outweighs those cons. So I don't think it detracts for those that find solely story and like deal with every character and all that kind of stuff. The voice acting might turn you off. I'm not going to lie. For me, not so much. Because like the music and the the nice graphics, the the gameplay, all that stuff far outweighs that one negative aspect of the game. For people who care about the voice acting, like specifically, it might turn you off. That's fair. 
it has to be really bad voice acting to turn me off because I know, I know some people in real life that you think that they're terrible at acting in life. And so I, I can't imagine it'd be much worse than that. Almost as terrible as you trying to say positive things about Arch, Nate. Well, I mean, I can't. Anyway, before I get Nate on a tangent, while I'm busy trying and playing video games, Nate, you've been playing with OBS and hardware encoding? I have. So somebody told me, a guy by the name of Michael Vash, that there is a hardware encoding option that may work okay in OBS on AMD hardware. So I decided I would play with it. It was kind of a last minute thing. I didn't have any real reason to do anything like the live stream something useful. So I decided instead to live stream playing a game I'd never heard of before for the NES or actually really for the Famicom called Downtown Nakitsu March Super Awesome Field Day. Now, if you have ever played River City Ransom on the NES, you will notice that the assets are pretty much all the same as far as the character assets, that the characters and whatnot. This was published about a year after River City Ransom. So they pretty much reused all those like sprite assets, the, the characters and objects and so forth, and turned to like, for lack of a better term, it's like parkour, except 2D. And you go up against the four racers or whatever you want to call it, but you can like hit each other, throw stuff at each other and, and so forth to knock them, to slow them down. And so it's pretty funny to play, pretty obnoxious. I never had heard of it until I think Friday, maybe, or Saturday. Sometime I heard of it. I had to give it a try because it was on the Nintendo Mini Famicom. It is a fun game. The controls maybe are a little bit, like I don't understand like why I'm just not as fast as the other characters or maybe they did on purpose. I don't know. Maybe it's a difficulty setting. But outside of that, it was a lot of fun to play. So what I did learn was the hardware encoding does seem to work without any glitches. I don't know if it's actually less stress on the system or not because I do have an an APU in my computer that I typically use for such things. And I wasn't really stressing it with playing River City Ransom or I'm sorry, Downtown Nikitu Nikitsu March Super Awesome Field Day. It did seem to work fine. I can do hardware encoding. It does seem to work. I don't know if it's as good as the NVENC encoder, but at least it's something. So wait, you get to throw things at people, you said. Yeah. Yes, I pretend they're all you. I'm sorry. I, just... <laughs> I was going to say, if it was me playing, I would just pretend that I'm throwing your precious plushy gecko at you and call it good. Well, that wouldn't hurt, though. You hit him with a stick or some brass knuckles or a rock or something like that. That's what you got to do. It's really very funny. I didn't say they wouldn't be loaded with a brick. <laughs> They have bricks in there, but that'd have been funny too. I think it was Trash Can one of them. I, I can't recall. <laughs> the released only in Japan kind of games are fun because you're like, why didn't this get released? Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. You know, outside of the general country of origin, sometimes games just don't get released outside of them. And you're like, this game is fun as heck. Why weren't you released outside of your country of origin? It's a really good question. As a JRPG fan, it drives me nuts when that happens because you hear about this cool game and you're just like, oh, and it's Japan only. <laughs> Or, you know, insert country of origin here. It's really, really annoying. But it's cool that you were able to, through emulation, be able to play that and, you know, have some fun and test out some AMD-specific stuff. Good to hear that their encoder has gotten a little bit better. It's been a, a few years since the last time I tried uh, AMD's encoders, specifically their media encoders. Yep, my understanding is it's the same encoder thing as Intel. Like, it's, it's the same, like, VAPPI or something like that. It's the same one for Intel and for AMD. So maybe it uses Mesa? I don't know. And is this going to help with Linux Saloon and the production of that show and maybe some of the other projects that you have in mind? I don't know if it's going to necessarily help. It was for Linux Saloon specifically because I do stream it. I want to see if it would reduce some of the stress, you know, for a two-hour stream, if it would reduce the stress. I don't know if it will or not, but I'm going to find out very soon. Now it's your turn to toss in your two cents on today's topics. Hit the discourse forums, drop us a line under this video, or the contact form by visiting dlnextend.com slash contacts.
If you'd like to hang out with us on our preferred social media, see the links at the bottom of the show description and find other great shows like Hardware Addicts, GameSphere, and Linux Saloon, and more at DestinationLinux.network. You can also show off your love for your favorite podcasts and shows of the network by visiting the DLM merch store. I would personally grab your awesome swag like the gamer-centric I pause my game to be here shirt, personally. One more reminder before you go. Make sure you are subscribing to the YouTube channel for Linux Out Loud in the description if you want to catch us on YouTube next week. As always, we thank you for joining us and we'll be back next week for another awesome episode of Linux Out Loud. Until then, keep the banner friendly, the conversation somewhat on topic, and have fun doing it. Mm-hmm.